Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Thank you for the reading. I'm going to focus today more on the passage from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. The other day, well, a while back, maybe not the other day, uh, Shantae and I, we went out to eat. And um, as we were sitting down, we'd taken our order. We're just kind of talking to each other, looking around the restaurant. We noticed there was a table with uh, a parent and their kids. And we noticed something really interesting that every single person was doing this. They had their head down. The mom, the dad, the kids, everybody had their heads down. None of them were talking to each other. That's because each single person, each single member of the family, each had their own device. They had like a phone or a tablet. And there was no conversation of any kind going on at the table, which sort of then begs the question, what's the point of going out to eat together as a family if you're not going to, to talk to each other? Now, over the years, it's, it's, it's become known that CEOs of some of the largest tech companies in the world limit the access to technology in their own homes. Some of them don't even allow their children to have a smartphone until they were 14. And this, they do this because there were, people have been giving children their own phones. Uh, just to kind of, here, this is for you. Very, very, very young. Several of them did not allow their kids to have a smartphone until 14, and then only with tight supervision. Now, I'm not saying that smartphones and tablets are bad, all right? I have a smartphone, I have a tablet, I have a laptop, and I, ha I get good use out of all of these devices. And I'm not saying there's no use that we get out of these devices. But I realized something seeing that, it, that, that lack of interaction at the table about how devices and technology can take us captive. And every once in a while, my wife will call me out. She'll say, you just got home from work and you're sitting here with your family. Why is your phone in your hand? And so I very sheepishly put it back in my pocket. And she calls me out on it sometimes. I remember one time where I even sold my smartphone and uh, I bought an old, uh, remember those uh, Motorola razors, those old flip phones? I bought one of those off of Amazon and I sold my smartphone and I was like, I'm gonna get away from smartphones. And that lasted about six months and I was doing okay until the house I was living in had a fire and I had to move. So I'm texting everybody and it's hard to text a whole group of people from that little keyboard <laughs> that, with the numbers. Like it was really old school and I was like, all right, I need a smartphone again. Maybe I should just limit you know, my, my, <laughs> my uses with, with the phone. So they have use, but these devices, if we're not careful, can take us captive. They can take us captive because the way they work, right? The way that they work is they are designed to tell you when something is going on, right? So when you get a text message, your phone buzzes or beeps or makes a ding, 
right? And then you take it out, you pull it out of your pocket and you check it. Or you get a notification, oh, I just got a bunch of emails I need to answer. Or somebody comments on your Facebook or on your Instagram page and your phone tells you, hey, you have a new comment on your Facebook. You have a new comment on your Instagram. So then you go and you take out your phone and you get on Facebook or you get on, and we are constantly, constantly being told and our attention is constantly being turned away by devices that are basically yelling at us and saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me all the time, right? And some of you are like, what's Facebook and Instagram? If you don't know what that is, that's okay, that's okay. Good, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say if you do. And the reason why I talk about this and I'm opening with this as an example is that we, we, we let ourselves be taken captive by things. And it can be really hard to disconnect. It can be really hard to experience freedom. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about being captive or being rooted. So in talking about captivity, St. Paul says in the letter to the Colossians, he says, don't be taken captive. He says, see to it, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceits according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we see here two main areas St. Paul warns them, that, that we as human beings, that these things take us captive, and they have done so in the past and do so now and work to keep us captive in the future. And those are empty deceits according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. So let's define these a little bit. Let's take a look at these. So the first one, we talk about philosophy, empty deceit according to human tradition. It's important to note right away that St. Paul here, he's not saying that all philosophy is bad or empty. And he's not saying that tradition itself is bad. The historian Yaroslav Pelikan reminds us, tradition is the living faith of the dead. And so as we see St. Paul in Acts, also we see him keeping certain traditions. He visits Jerusalem. He continues to keep some festivals. Saints Peter and Paul, they go to the temple to pray as was their normal practice. The teaching of the apostles is handed over to us, right? In Greek, that word is traditioned, but we don't have an English word for traditioned, so, that we, so we say handed down. So tradition in and of itself isn't a bad thing, and neither is philosophy. The word means love of wisdom. And we even see St. Paul quote philosophers in his speech to the Athenians when he goes to the Areopagus. He quotes to them their own philosophers. So what's meant here then? So following the work of scholar N.T. Wright, I think he's right on here, philosophy and empty deceit of human tradition is a reference to the Judaism of St. Paul's era. So what's most likely happening, what's facing this young church here is that there's a teacher or teachers, they're coming in among them and they're saying very wise sounding things. They're making very philosophical arguments, trying to make this young Gentile church become Jews through observance of the rituals as laid out in the Torah as something that's binding upon them, something maybe that may even complete uh, their faith or maybe even trying to call them back from faith in Christ into something from the past. So when we also now when we look at the elemental spirits of the world, in the reading this morning, the NIV says basic principles of the world. But that reading, it's not quite accurate. As most scholars translate that word that the NIV translates as principles, stoikeia, translates it as elemental spirits. So the reason for this is that in their era, it was believed that spirits controlled the elements that made up the world, and this could influence human behavior. 
So this reading makes more sense as well, given how St. Paul goes on in this text to talk about how Christ has triumphed and put the rulers of the world to open shame. More on that in a few minutes. So in light of this, how has Christ dealt with the things that keep humanity in captivity? Well, we see this in verses 9 through 15, so I'll reread quickly. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In him. Notice there, in him in verse 9. In him, hopefulness. In him you were circumcised. In him you have triumphed over them. A lot of this identification of being in Christ in these very short few verses. So he answers about captivity and the things that keep us in captivity by telling them that they find their sufficiency in Jesus Christ. I know, right? That was the perfect gasp. Notice the language in use here. Like I said, in him, the fullness of deity, right? Filled. There's this language of fulfillment, that Jesus is over all things. He's not a second different deity. He is the enfleshment of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And those who belong to him find in him all of their sufficiency, not in any human devised rules or traditions, nor in any powers or authorities, but in Jesus Christ himself. And we see this link with the God of Israel because in Christ, it says we were circumcised by dying and being raised again in baptism. And the language of circumcision, this is the language of the covenant that God made with his people, with Abraham and with the people of Israel and Moses. And in the Old Testament, it was a marker. It was an identifier of who was in God's people. It was a covenantal sign of belonging to God. And St. Paul calls baptism the circumcision made without hands. And thus circumcision is a sign of what baptism would become. Also notice here what he doesn't say about baptism. Nowhere does he say that baptism is just an outward sign of obedience. He says that our baptism is our burial and our being raised to life in Jesus Christ. That when we go into the waters, we die. And then when we come up, we are raised St. Paul says, through Christ, they have been made alive, that they were once dead but are no longer, and that those trespasses have been forgiven, and the record of debt that stood against us has been canceled. This week I was reading an article about this very scripture, and the the author of the article is a pastor as well as a a, a scholar, uh, Father Stephen DeYoung. He notes that in the ancient world, slavery and captivity, they were tied in with the concept of debt. That St. Paul talks about here. So if in the ancient world you could not pay back a debt, then you would become a slave to the person to whom the debt was owed until the debt could be repaid. So this record of debt is our sins. They hold a claim against us, and Christ cancels that claim against us. So we are no longer slave to sins anymore, but we are now servants of God. 
And not only that, but the cross also disarms all of the rulers and authorities. And we have to remember here, when Paul talks about rulers and authorities, he's talking about the evil spiritual powers that hold sway over human beings, that influence human beings. And this plays itself out in political systems and in how people treat one another. And it says that Jesus not only disarms them, but he puts them to shame. So the end result of all of this is that those empty human traditions that could not deal with the root of sin are nullified, and the spiritual powers that once held sway over us us are now powerless. This means that whatever held us no longer holds us captive because Christ has freed us from captivity. And he finishes by commenting on how the shadows of the things to come have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the rituals and the food laws and all of the other things that were necessary are themselves incomplete. And the people who would try and bind them under the law again are doing the opposite of what St. Paul said in the opening verse. They are not holding fast to the head, to Christ, and as such are not connected with the life-giving body that continues to grow. He's essentially saying, right, Christ has freed us from captivity. It makes no sense to go back into those things from which Christ has freed us. So then how do we respond, brothers and sisters, to the things that would try and take us captive? And we should realize from the beginning that the same elemental spirits of the world we face in our time are the same ones we face in our own day and time. The ones that they face are the ones that we face. And the empty deceits of human philosophy may be different, but the effects are the same. The thing that they both have in common is that they both offer something that while on the surface looks good, but lead us away from the head, the life-giving source found only in Jesus Christ. And St. Paul at the beginning of this text says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted, built up, in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So the antidote to captivity is being rooted in Christ, because it is, it is only when we are joined to Christ, and as we mature in Christ, are we able to grow into what we were truly destined to become. And so when we look at this, St. Paul says, as you have received Jesus Christ, walk in him, right? So this, this idea of walking is this idea of a continual journey, right? When you're walking somewhere, he doesn't say just stand there. We are walking with Christ. Our life in Christ is an ongoing journey, right? One of the things that the church in America, they want, well, I grew up in revivalism. Let me put it this way, right? So the the whole point of the service was you need to get saved. At the end of the service, people need to get saved. And what's happened with that is, is that idea of you being saved period, it doesn't deal with the fullness of what it actually means to be saved because it focuses on salvation as, the, as, as, a one, as something that happens to you at one point in time. But the scriptures speak of salvation as something that happens to us as a point in time. But the scriptures speak of salvation as something that has happened to us, something that is happening to us right now, and something that will be fully realized in the future. So we're walking in this. We are walking in Christ. Then it says that we are to be rooted and built up in him. So to be rooted means that we draw our strength from Christ. Roots go down and they soak up all of that stuff that help keep trees and plants alive. And that for us is Christ. 
And we are to be built in Christ, right? So we are joined. We are built up in him. We are like bricks. St. Paul uses this example in Corinthians that God is constructing a building, and the building that he's making is made out of us. So we're sort of like the brick and mortars of the building that God is building up, but we are built up together in Jesus Christ. And then it says we are established, right? So this idea of maturity is necessary because when we are mature in Christ, we will not fall prey to the things outside that try to draw us away captive. When we find our fullness, our completeness, our wholeness, our healing in Christ, then the things that try to assail us, that try to draw us away from Christ, those things, we can see them for what they are. We can see through them that they have no power over us. And then thanksgiving, he talks about here, abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving orients our gratitude towards the one who saved us. And I think if we can learn to do these things, brothers and sisters, as we walk on our faith journey with Christ, as we are rooted in him, as we are nourished in him, as we are built up together in him, as we grow into maturity, as we are established in him, and as we gather to give thanks together, then we will find ourselves, we will find ourselves rooted instead of being taken captive. So the way out of captivity is to root ourselves in what truly gives life, the gift we have received. And as we are taught in the faith, as we abound with thanksgiving for what we've been given, we will be able to see everything else that tries to take us captive for what it is, an illusion, smoke, and mirrors. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting, and is all holy holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd ask that you would consider helping to meet a major need that we have. Our building is in current need of some necessary repairs, so we've set up a GoFundMe, gofundme.com slash SaveZionStone. And I ask that you would please consider donating there, or if you'd like, you could also mail us something directly. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com or you can find me on the church's Facebook page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, as well as our website. This podcast is available on iTunes as well as Spotify. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you.